In, in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, Jesus told his disciples, And you will be witnesses of me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the othermost parts of the earth. And then when you flip over to Acts chapter 2, you see that this begins to take place. Peter preaches this phenomenal message. Thousands of people are baptized. And then as you begin to look through the book of Acts, it is as God is starting this movement of planting churches all over the world. And it's actually a movement that is still going on today. Myself, Jonathan Johnson, along with two men, Ron Parker and Patrick Pooley, we believe that God is going to allow us to be a part of that movement by planting a church or starting a church in Olympia, Washington. Now what I want to do for the next uh, hopefully seven to ten minutes is I want to tell you who is going, where we're going, and why we're going, and then obviously what we need. Um, Our team consists of obviously um, myself. Um, You see myself there, Jonathan, and my wife Mandy and Mary Beth. Um, But also the cool thing is when Mandy and I began praying about the possibility of God sending us off to start a church, uh, the one thing that we began praying was a team. Now, when you look at this, you see three men. And and a lot of times I get the question like, all right, there's three guys, three families. How is this thing going to work? I mean, these three guys are already in ministry. And so how are you guys going to work this out? Well, the first thing I want you to know is that we began praying about going out as a team because we believe that God, we saw this in Scripture in the book of Acts. You see that God was using teams. He always has. Uh, Paul and and Barnabas went out. Paul and Timothy. Uh, You had Paul and Silas and uh, even John, Mark and Barnabas. God was always using teams. And how really we're going to make this work is uh, I am going to be the lead pastor uh, Ron Parker, he has a really great quality in discipleship. And in the beginning stages of our church plant, we see that he is going to really be involved with home groups, discipleship groups in the home. Patrick has a passion for mission and making sure that the church is involved in the community in the way that it is reaching people and loving people. And not only in the community in Olympia, but actually then going into the state of Washington, fulfilling Acts 1-8. Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And so this is our church plant team that we are so excited about. And uh, if you know scripture, it says that a three-cord strand is not easily broken. And so we're excited about this. But let me tell you a little bit about where we're going. Uh, Olympia, Washington is one of the most unchurched regions in the U.S. Compared to the East, which is a post-Christian society, the West is a never-was-Christian society. When you look at the West, 78.1 million people do not believe in Jesus Christ. And it is said that in the state of Washington, it is only 4% churched. And then when we focus the lens a little bit closer into Olympia, Olympia sits in Thurston County. Thurston County has 250,000 people, and of that, only 7.5% are evangelical. But then of that 7.5%, only 1.4% believe in the gospel and Jesus Christ as the only way to have eternal life through Jesus Christ. So when you look at the statistics, I mean, you see this phenomenal need to plant a church or to start churches in Washington. But really beyond that, beyond the statistics, you know, what is it that keeps us up at night? What is it that is wanting to that is causing us to want to move our families 2,500 miles across country. It's the fact that we believe that we see in Olympia a people that have turned from them, that have turned from God to themselves. 
And we want to see people turn from themselves to Christ, to the glory of God. And we want to see a people that will make gospel impressions all over the metro area. Let me ask you a question. Do you believe that church is more than a building? Do you believe that church is more than just an event that we go to every week? Oh, absolutely it is. Ephesians says that Jesus died for the church. He gave himself for the church. So yes, it absolutely is more than that. It's more than an event. It's more than a building. And so we want to gather people that believe in the gospel as Jesus Christ is the only way for salvation. And we want to see those people make gospel impressions all over the metro area. And so that is why we are going to Washington. is because we believe that God is calling us there. And so here are a few things that you can do um, to help us out. Um, first, uh, you can be praying for us. And I don't say pray for us um, before I talk about money. I say pray for us because it is so important. It is actually what we need. Because if God is not going before us, then we don't need to go at all. And so we need Jesus Christ with us. And so what we would ask you to do is actually, i got a table out back. And if you would grab a prayer card, we'd love for you to put this on the refrigerator, uh, put this in your car, a place where you see it often, and you would actually pray for us. One of the big prayers that, that we are asking is, comes from Psalm 67, and it says this, God, be gracious to us and bless us and cause your face to shine on us that your way may be known on earth and your saving power among the nations. And so what you could do for us is you could actually grab a prayer card and you could pray that. And you could actually say, God, be gracious to Jonathan, Ron, and Patrick and this new church. Be gracious to them. Cause your face to shine on them. That your way may be known in Olympia. And not only that, but your saving power among the nations. So we ask you to pray for us. But secondly, we, we ask you to uh, consider partnering with us financially. Our startup budget is at 15000 I'm happy to say that we have already raised in, in the past two months $7,200. And so we are almost halfway there. And so we are trying to uh, raise $15,000 that really just kind of gets the church off the ground, media expenses. We see uh, some initial impact in the community um, that we have, so $15,000. And then we have a monthly budget of $9,300. Uh, that looks really big, uh, but you see that we have a large team. Uh, Sunbreak Baptist Church is our sponsoring church. Uh, by the grace of God, they are going to be paying my salary and fully paying that. But we also have two guys that we want to support. Uh, we want them to, we want to help support them. We know that they're going to be bivocational, but we don't have to, them to have to work full time. So part of that goes to their salary. It also goes to uh, some perceived, probably property leasing, renting that we're going to have to do. And so this is how you can help us financially with our startup budget. We're coming alongside us and helping us uh, with our monthly support. I did mention that we, uh, uh, our sponsoring church is Sunbreak Baptist Church. The really cool thing, and I'll share a little bit more with you uh, about this uh, in the message, but uh, I got a phone call in, uh, in 2009 from Pastor Bobby Ball, and he told me that they have a vision of planting seven churches by 2020. In the South Puget Sound region, that's right there in the heart of Olympia, just around Olympia. There are two counties that they're focusing on, 1.5 million people in that area. And they saw that, listen, there is this host of people that need to be reached. And they believe the best way to do that is to start new churches. And so they want to plant seven churches by 2020. 
And so we are coming on with them and they are going to be sending us out to be one of those churches um, in the South Puget Sound region, Sunbreak Baptist Church. And we are so excited that God has called us and led us uh, to Olympia. And so I want to ask you as a church body that you would really pray for us. Uh, please grab a prayer card. We actually have a book that you can sign and we will send you periodic updates of what's happening um, uh, between now and when we actually land in Olympia. Uh, Brother Michael told you that I'm currently on staff still at uh, Sharon Baptist Church. They have allowed me to stay on staff there and to do deputation on Sunday nights. And so we have about four months left before we move in June to Olympia um, and begin to start this church plant. And so I want to ask you as a church body, pray for us. And if you can, uh, partner with us financially. I want to ask you to stand and we'll have a word of prayer. Father, I want to thank you so much for our time together. Uh, I ask, Father, that your hand and your spirit would be upon this church. God, that you would work through their pastor, Brother Michael, and, uh, and Brother Trey, and that, God, you would lead them to lead this church in the direction it needs to go. But also pray for the church body, God, that they would, uh, God, be totally consumed in you and your glory and your majesty. They would do all they can to carry out the great commission to fulfill the great commandment. God, be with us tonight as we dig into your word. And it's your holy name we pray. Amen. I want to ask you to, uh, as you're standing right there, I want to ask you to turn to a person on your left and right and uh, shake their hand. Give them a high five. Whatever you need to do. Make them feel welcome. All right. That's fine. I'll stay right. Should I put it on? No, this will be good right here. I'll stay right here. Thank you. Do you need the protector anymore? No, you can turn it off. Okay. Well, I was just going to turn the light back on. That one's our old one. Okay. The dim one. Yeah. Go right ahead. All right. You may have a seat. I want to ask you to turn to Luke chapter 10. In February of 2010, this past year, I found myself uh, across the table with Ron Parker at Applebee's. And God had placed on the heart of my wife and I, we had been out to to Washington and spent some time with their pastor looking at the possibility of going and planting a church, but I knew I didn't want to do it alone. And so I actually uh, decided that I would call Ron. Uh, we had been meeting together for the past five years over coffee every Monday. And I sat down with Ron and I said, hey, man, uh, I want you to think about planting a church with me. I have no plan. I have no idea what we're going to do. I don't even know where we're going to go. It may not even be Washington, I don't know, but I want you to think about planting a church with me. And just uh, two weeks before that, I actually got an email from Patrick Pulley. He had no idea what was going on in our hearts or what God was doing with us. But he sent me an email and he said, hey, Jonathan, have you ever, have you ever thought about starting a church? And that began the workings of God really putting this team together and the possibility for us to go to Washington. But the crazy thing is, is about... Three months before that, uh, Manny and I had been out to Washington. We were praying about going to 
that area to start a church. And we couldn't decide if God was leading us or if he was not. And we were trying to discern his will. And I heard a a message by a guy named Jeff Vanderstelt. Jeff Vanderstelt is actually a church planner in Washington. And he said this. He said, "I, I talked to a lot of guys, missionaries, church planners who want to go start churches. And I asked him this question. If you knew for a fact that God was calling to you, calling you to a region of the United States to start a church, you knew for a fact that he was calling you to that place, but you knew for a fact that God was going to call you there, but you were going to be an utter failure for his glory. You were going to preach the gospel and no one was going to be, respond. And you were going to be an utter failure. He asked this question, would you still go? And I thought for a second, I was like, I don't know if I would go. I mean, I don't know if I would be the Jeremiah, you know, the, the guy who God calls to be prophet. And he says, hey, Jeremiah, listen, no one's going to listen to you. No one's going to respond. This nation will never listen to you, but I want you to go ahead and preach. And so God was impressing on my heart. Jonathan, would you still go? Would you go if you went out there and nobody responded to the gospel? If you went out there and you couldn't get the church off the ground, would you still go? Because God began really digging into my heart, and it was this question is, Jonathan, what is your motive for wanting to go? I mean, because really, in the church world, it sounds really cool if you're a missionary, right? I mean, I walk in the doors, and everybody's like, dude, you're going to Washington? I mean, it sounds really cool. And really, in the, in the church world, if you're a missionary and you're a church planner, I mean, you're, you're a step above everybody else. So, so, I mean, what is your motive, Jonathan, for wanting to go to Washington? Why do you really want to go there? Is it to impress yourself? Or are you going because I'm really calling you? Are you going just because your brother is actually planting churches? Because your family is in the ministry? Jonathan, why are you going? Because God was wanting me to wrestle with this motive in my heart. And I don't think it's any different for you at all. God really does care about your motive, the motive of your heart. Well, why is it that you walk into church every week? Why do you show up, right? Why do you sing the songs that you sing? It's, it's very important. I mean, God said of Israel one time, he said, listen, these people worship me with their lips, but what? Their heart is far from me. Because they could come in here and say all the words they wanted to, but if their heart wasn't in the right place, then God wasn't going to accept that. So motive is so important. Maybe you don't believe me. Let me ask, how many married ladies do we have in the house tonight? All right. Anybody dating, trying to find Mr. Wright? Anybody in here? Okay. All right, everybody's married. So you've dated before. You know what that was like, right? Now, you're dating this guy. Maybe it's been for two days or three months or three years or whatever. He's buying flowers. He's opening the door. His car is always clean for some reason. It's always vacuumed out. It's always waxed. Whenever you go out on a date, he's looking sharp. He's got his cologne on, you know, Old Spice, whatever you guys wear, I don't know what it is, whatever. And you're working it. I mean, you're trying to impress her. You're trying to woo her. I mean, you're trying to win her over. But then all of a sudden, in her mind, right, she's thinking something because you want to win her over. And so you say something. You say those three words that mean so much. You say, I love you, right? But what happens in your mind, ladies? You're thinking, why do you love me, right? Now, you're about to ask that question, right? And maybe you do ask that question to that man. Let me, ladies, let me tell you something. If you're going to ask that question, give us a little bit of warning, all right? Because the only thing that we can think in your mind, our minds is you are very attractive. I mean, 
You are beautiful. You're gorgeous. I mean, God, he did a work when he made you. I mean, you are beautiful, right? That's the only thing we're thinking. Now, now there's more reasons to why we love you, but that's the only thing. So give us a minute. But really, you want to know why he loves you, right? Why is he opening those doors? Why is he buying you flowers? Why is he writing you poems? Why is he doing all of these things to, to win you? You want to know the motive and the true motive of his heart. And God is no different. He wants to know the motive of why we are truly serving him, why we are following him, why we worship him, why we study our Bible, why are we praying. Motive is so important. And the truth, the truth is, is that what happens is your motive exposes your heart. Your motive exposes your heart. Say that with me. Your motive exposes your heart. Take your hand and put it on your heart right there. Your motive exposes your heart. I want you to look at Luke chapter 10, and we're going to take this very famous parable, the parable of the Good Samaritan. And we're going to break it down, and I want to show you how in this parable that really what Jesus is really interested in this parable is this man's motive. Now, what I want to do in Luke chapter 10, I want to start with verse 25. We're going to break a couple of verses down, and then I actually want to read the parable in its entirety. Here's Luke chapter 10, verse 25. I'm reading from the New King James Version. It says this, And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now, that's a great question. And every time we look at that question, if you ever read it before, you think, man, what a profound question. Jesus is going to give us the direct answer to what it means to inherit eternal life. But look at the guy's question. He says, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Let me ask you a question. Can you do anything to receive an inheritance? No. An inheritance is free. You didn't work for it. You didn't earn it. Your dad worked for it. Your grandpa worked for it. Isn't it funny that we want to know what we have to do to earn things that are free? This man, a lawyer, a teacher of the law, he says, What shall I do to inherit eternal life? Verse 26, and he said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? Verse 27, so he answered him and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered rightly, do this and you will live. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read that, I think for just a second, I'm like, Jesus, why did you give that answer? This guy just asked a question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? You said, how do you read the law? The guy responds, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and all your strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then Jesus says, okay, do that and you will live. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm thinking, Jesus, why did you not quote John 3.16 right there? I mean, why did you not quote Ephesians 2 and verse 8? Why did you say this? Why did you say that in order for me to have eternal life, I have to go and do all of these works that are, that are of the law? Because what do we know? Salvation is completely and totally free. It comes through the blood of Jesus Christ and him alone. So how can Jesus say the man is right in his answer? I want you to listen again. Jesus says, how do you read the law? The man says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, the truth is, if the man can walk away and love God and love God alone, never run after anything else, never worship any other idol, never worship any other person, never worship any other thing, then he's fulfilled that part of the law, right? And then if he goes and he can completely and totally live and love his neighbor as himself, 
Never hate him. Never be led in pride. Never gossip. Right? Never stab his friend in the back. If he can literally fulfill the law, then what has he done? He has lived perfectly. So therefore, he can have what? Eternal life. So Jesus says, go live the law. And if you can obey it completely and totally, you're good. You're scot-free. And your sins will be forgiven. Jesus was right in his answer. Completely and totally. But we know something completely different. There was only one man that could fulfill the law, and that was Jesus Christ. But the reason Jesus gives that answer is he wants to expose this man's heart. Now, look at verse 29. But he, the lawyer, the teacher of the law, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Isn't that rightfully so? We always want to justify ourselves. But what Jesus is about to do, he's about to back this man into a corner and expose his heart, expose his motive, and therefore expose this man's heart. And so then Jesus gives this parable. Let's read it. And Jesus answered and said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a certain priest came down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. So he went to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. On the next day when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said to him, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend when I come again, I will repay you. So which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among thieves? And he said, He who showed mercy on him. Then Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. Father, I pray that you will, God, bless the reading of your word. God, that you will bless this message. God, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You see, we have to read the parable in its entirety to really get the whole gist of what Jesus Christ is saying. The man asked a question in the beginning. He said, hey, then who is my neighbor? Right? Well, Jesus turns that question on its head in the end, and he said, listen, who was a neighbor to him who fell among thieves? You see, because really, in in all honesty, it's not so important who is my neighbor. That's an easy question to answer. I mean, we, we could look to our left and our right and see our neighbor. But the better question is, is are you being a neighbor to those people around you? Because that portion of the great great commandment that says love your neighbor as yourself, if you're going to fulfill that, then you are therefore going to be a neighbor if you're going to love your neighbor as yourself. You're going to be a neighbor to the person on your left or your right. And so Jesus takes this question, flips it on its head because he wants to expose this man's heart and therefore expose his motive. Now let's break down the parable just a minute to really get the gist of what Jesus is saying. There was a certain man who was traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. So we have to assume that this man probably is a Jew. He's on a journey. He's going somewhere. He's traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. And it just so happened that the man fell among robbers and thieves. They stripped him of his clothing. They robbed him. And then they left him half dead and almost naked in the ditch. Right? And as this man is lying there. 
I mean, he's pretty much on his deathbed. He's in between Jerusalem and Jericho. All right, They don't have ambulances. They don't have fire trucks. There's nobody coming to his rescue. And it just so happened that first a priest came down the road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So the imagery is that we have this man that is sitting on the side of the road. And the priest, when he comes by, it just so happened that he walks by. He walks by on the other side. Now, what is a priest? We know that they have to be very important. Well, the priests were the men that descended from Aaron. These were the men that knew, that handled the sacrifices. These were the men that understood the law. They understood what it meant when someone walked up to them with sin on their life, sin in their family, and they brought a dove or they brought an animal or they brought a grain offering or an oil offering. And then when they brought that, they knew exactly what to do. These men knew the commandments. They knew Deuteronomy chapter 6. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. And he only will you serve. They knew love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. And they also knew love your neighbor as yourself. You see, this priest, he knew the law, but he couldn't live the law. He knew what it meant to sacrifice an animal, but he didn't know what it meant to sacrifice his life. You see that? But then we move on to the Levite. Well, you may not know what a Levite is, but you know it's pretty important because it says Levite, right? Well, Levite were the guys that descended from the tribe of Levi. They also worked in the temple, but they had different jobs. They cleaned the place. They took care of the temple. Ezekiel even tells us that these guys were worshipers. They were singers. So what do you assume about the Levite? Well, he not only knew the law, but this man actually knew what it meant to worship God. He knew how important it was to keep the house of God a place of worship for when people to walk in, for it to be quiet so that when people walk in, they could worship God. They knew how to worship God with their lips, but they didn't know how to worship God with their lives. Let me ask you a question. Does it sound like anybody? Does it sound like Christians? We know the word of God. We know the law. We know what it means to sacrifice. We even know what it meant for Jesus to sacrifice his life. But it's so hard for us to sacrifice our own life for others. We say that we love people, but it's very hard for us to really love people. Does it sound like anybody, the Levite? He actually walked up to the man. I mean, he he walked over to the guy and said, no, I cannot touch this man. Does it sound like anybody, I mean, us who were really good at walking into the house of God and singing praises and worshiping him with our lips, but we just don't really know how to worship God with our lives? You see, what Jesus is doing here is he's exposing this man's heart and therefore exposing his motive. But then Jesus mentions another man, the Samaritan. I want to tell you something. Don't assume that the Samaritan is a good guy. We assume that. Jesus never said he was good. He just said he was a Samaritan. And he happened to do something that was really good. But here's what happened. The Samaritan was on a journey. He wasn't like the priest and the Levite that just happened to walk by. I mean, he's on a journey. He's going somewhere. And as he is on this journey, he looks and he saw him and he had a different response. He had compassion. I mean, he had this heartfelt something was going on inside him. He saw this man who was robbed, poor, blind, naked, Right there on the side of the road. And he said, I have to do something. So he dismounted his animal, walks over and touches this man. This he touches this man. Now, there's a key here. Why do you think Jesus mentions a Samaritan? 
Because he's talking with a lawyer. He's talking with a Jew. And Jesus knows how the Jewish community feels about the Samaritan community. You see, the Samaritans were hated. They weren't, they weren't even allowed to go into the temple. I mean, the Gentiles, they had their own court. Well, they wouldn't even let Samaritans into the temple. They hated them so much that they would travel around Samaria. They would travel around it as Jews. You remember this, that the, the disciples were freaked out one time when Jesus said, hey, we need to go to Samaria. And I'm going to stop and I'm going to talk to a woman at the well. And when the disciples walked up, they're like, what are you doing talking to this woman? And not only that, but what are you doing talking to this Samaritan? I mean, they, they considered them dogs. They considered them half-breeds. So this Samaritan, think about that for a second. This man who probably hated the Jew, in reality, in this Jew who hated the Samaritan walks up and he begins to touch this man. But listen how the Samaritan responds. He went to him. He bandaged up his wounds and he poured oil and wine on him. He touched him. He touched him. When was the last time that you touched somebody that you hated? When was the last time that you hugged someone that you couldn't stand or someone that couldn't stand you? But not only that, but he, but he gave of his possessions, right? He, put, he took oil and wine, obviously very expensive stuff, and he bandaged up his wounds. He gave of his possessions to this man. But not only that, but he gave of his transportation. He got off his animal, went to the man, and he took the man and put him on his animal, gave up his transportation. Let me ask you a question. When was the last time that you were traveling and you saw someone in need on the side of the road, needed a, needed a ride or whatever, and you gave up your time and your transportation for that person. You see, this, he's really exposing what true love really looks like. And not only that, but he takes the man to the end, and then he gives up his finances. He said, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pay for this one night stay in this hotel, and if there's any other fees that are occurred, listen, I will pay the debt he gave of his money. And why does Jesus mention this? Because really what we do with our money exposes our heart. It shows what we really love. So the Samaritan becomes the example or the illustration of what it really looks to respond in love. You see that? Not the Levite. Not the priest. Not the good guys. The Samaritan. The Samaritan. I want to ask you a question. Who is the Samaritan in your life? I mean, who is it? Who is the person that, that you can't stand? Think about it for a second. Who is the person that you can't stand to be around? That's your Samaritan. Think about the sides of town that you avoid. Those are your Samaritans. And maybe it's not in Hamburg. Maybe it's when you go to Little Rock. You, know, you, you avoid that 56th Street over there, right? We can't go over there. I mean, we got to stay away from that side of town. You can't go across those tracks and be over there. See, those are our Samaritans. Think about the people you tell jokes about, the people you point at, the people that disgust you. Those are our Samaritans. Those are our Samaritans. Those are the people that Jesus is calling us to. I want to, I want to ask you for a second to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 
While you're turning there, I want to I want to go ahead and read. Paul said this, though, I speak with the tongue of men and angels, but have not love. I become sounding brass or clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but I have not love, I'm nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but I have not love, it profits me nothing. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. Is not puffed up. Love does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but it rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, and say it with me, love never fails. Let me ask you a question. Is that what your love looks like to your neighbor? Is that what it looks like? Paul says that Paul says that if we we, we say that we have love, right? If we, though I speak with the tongue of men and angels and have not love, I become sounding brass or clanging cymbal, right? He says it sounds like this. Hey, brother, I love you. Love you to death, man. Yeah, I love those people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's what it sounds like. Anybody want me to stop? Anybody want me to stop? Why'd you want me to stop? It's annoying. Let me ask you a question. What do you think God thinks about us when we say that we have love? When we walk around like we've got this worship thing all down, when we've got this following Christ thing all down, but we don't love the people around us. It's annoying. It's a, it's a, it's a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. And actually what it is, it's just a bunch of noise. That's all it is. It, it doesn't have any substance. Love with words and no action is absolutely annoying. And I would go on to say it, it's absolutely damaging. It's damaging to the people around us. Because they see us as being very hypocritical. We are actually fulfilling the very thing that they think about us. Yeah, I, I told you they were a bunch of hypocrites. I told you they were like that. You see, I think God right here exposes this lawyer's heart. Because he goes to Jesus and says, hey, you know what? I fulfilled the law. I've loved the Lord my God with all my heart, mind, and soul. I've loved my neighbor as myself. And Jesus says, oh, really? Let me give you a parable and let me ask you a question. Who was the neighbor to the one who fell among thieves? Let me ask you that, let me ask you that question. Who was a neighbor to the one who fell among thieves? Was it the Levite? Was it the priest? Who was it? Say that word. Samaritan. Let me ask you a question. Why? Did this lawyer not say Samaritan? Listen to his answer. Verse 37. He who showed mercy on him. You see, the guy had so much hate in his heart for Samaritans, he couldn't even say his name. Jesus exposed the man's heart. He couldn't stand him. He couldn't stand him in that moment. He couldn't even say Samaritan. He couldn't say it at all. You see, in our heart, I think we have to examine our hearts as God would. He backs us in a corner and he says, okay, do you really love me? Do you really love your neighbor? And that's what Jesus is doing to us, man. He's sending us to Olympia. And let me tell you a little bit about Olympia. Uh, in, in 2011, there were, were 7,500 people at the Gay and Lesbian Pride Day in Olympia. They're expecting 10,000 this year. There is a state college in Olympia 
It is called Evergreen State College. The second name for Evergreen State College is Lesbian College. All right? That's the area that we are going to. They say that Olympia is the hippest town in the West. It's a wannabe San Francisco. Jesus is saying, okay, Jonathan, do you really love me? Do you really love those people? You see, God is calling us to love everyone, our Samaritans, regardless. And you see the beautiful picture of this story. I think for a second, Jesus is like, okay, so he wants us to, to think, okay, so are you the Levite or are you the priest? You walk by on the other side. Are you the priest? You walk by on the other side. You don't show compassion. You can worship me with your lips, but you can't worship me with your hands. You know what it means to sacrifice, but you don't sacrifice your life. Or are you the Samaritan? I think we can even throw ourselves in that character. But there's really one other character that we haven't talked about. I mean, I think Jesus wants us to get the point in this parable is that are we really loving the way that God is calling us to love? But maybe there's a hidden, a hidden jewel right here in this parable. Because there's another character that I haven't asked you if, if you could be. And that's which one? The man that got robbed. The man that got robbed. You see, I think a lot of times the reason that we can't love people is we forgot where we came from. You see, there was a time when we were just like the robbed man. We were poor. We were blind. We were naked, we were without hope, and we were wounded. Wounded with the sin debt that was sending us to hell and damning us to hell, right? We were once like that. We were like this robbed man on the side of the road, poor, blind, naked, and without hope. And who walks by? The priest, the Levite. The law can't help you. It's not going to do anything for you. But then who walks by? Not the Samaritan. It's actually Jesus Christ. And he walks by. And when he saw us on the side of the road, naked, robbed, blind, without hope, in need of something, he stepped down and he didn't just pour oil and wine on us. No, he went to the cross and he poured his blood on us. Do you see the picture of the gospel there? And that's what Jesus did for us. We were the robbed man. Jesus was the, the man that, that, that came by, that walked by when we were without hope. We've forgotten where we were. That's who we were. And the beautiful picture is if we see ourselves as that man, listen, we can walk around and we can say, listen, I was wretched. I was blind. I was sinful. I was lustful. I was, I was wretched. And you know what? Jesus walked by and thanks be to God that he looked at me and he had compassion and he looked at me and he loved me. And thankfully, he walked by. And when he walked by, he went to the cross and he died for me. And so then Jesus gives a new commandment. He says, I don't want you to love people the way that you would love yourself, but I want you to love others as I have loved you. And so now when we look at the cross, it gives us the the amazing ability To look at people and say, I will love you regardless because God has loved me regardless. I will have compassion on you because God has had compassion on me through Jesus Christ. I want to ask you a question. Are you, in the end, loving people the way that Christ has loved you? That is what God is calling us to. Let me ask you, maybe your heart has been exposed tonight, like mine. 
There are people that I tell jokes about. There are people that I make fun of. There are people that, I, that disgust me. And God is asking me, okay, Jonathan, do you really, do you really love me? And are you really fulfilling the great commandment? You know, I think it's awesome that a church like this is fulfilling the great commission. You're doing that. You, you let guys like me come in to share, you know, the vision that God's placed on our heart and the mission that's God placed on our heart. You and you're, you're a great church by doing that and going out and sharing is just like that. But did you know that we cannot fulfill the Great Commission without the Great Commandment? I mean, what's our driving force to going out and reaching people? It's got to be the love that we have for them. We've got to have the Great Commandment. I want to ask you to stand. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for our time together tonight. And Father, I thank you for using your word, God, to expose our hearts. God, I pray that we will look at the the parable, and we will say, okay, so who am I? The Levite, the priest. But more importantly, I pray that we will look and we will see the gospel, the beautiful, beautiful display, the love that you had for us. Father, I pray that you would take this message and apply it to hearts. It's your holy name that we pray. Amen. Brother Michael.